0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message. i be here and, uh, and turn the world down. I had the opportunity with the National Office to give two years of my life to challenging people like you uh, to give to speak the light. And uh, I'll tell you, you talk about something that is equipping our missionaries um, it's teenagers like you that heard God whisper and uh, did something great. Yes. That Here's the cool thing. Let me just brag on her and just everyone that was a part of this morning, this, the three students that were up here. I, I, when I was traveling for Speed of Light, I, they asked me, they said, man, we want you to do Speed of Light uh, tours and, and challenge our pastors to give. And, and since Speed of Light started, teenagers just like her, um, it started in 1945 by a man by the name of Ralph Herowit, uh, Ralph Harris. Um, he, God spoke to him and he says, "If you'll teach a generation how to live selfless, he says, you'll never have to deal with a generation that's selfish." Yeah. And so he started light. and since 1945, teenagers just like you have raised over 265 million dollars. Wow! And so, but here's the cool part about that is when, when God spoke to me about going, I started just, he, he dropped an idea in my heart. How many students that have done something supernatural for Speed of Light? Now I'm not talking about just they empty their pocket. That might be supernatural. It may be $100 for a student, supernatural. But I'm talking about students that have worked jobs and given 100% of the money they've made to Speed of Light and give within one year over $8,000. Um, I'm talking about that kind of supernatural sacrifice. I started asking questions to pastors, district youth directors, the national office, and said, what are these students doing now? Fast forward 10, 15, 20 years. And here was the question. How many people, how many of these students that did something supernatural for missions walked away from Jesus? That's a hard question, right? And we, we asked it. Here's what I found out, sweetie. I couldn't find one teenager that did something supernatural that became an adult and walked away from Jesus. Wow. That tells me that God captures your heart. And so what God did this weekend is just going to ever increase and you're going to do something supernatural, not just now, but for eternity. Amen? Would you stand with me, church? We're going to do something that teenagers know very well. We—we we, Before you know my title, my topic, my, my even my, my uh, sermon uh, text, <laughs> I want you to go to a place where decisions are made. And I want you to decide whether or not you're going to have your way with God or God's going to have His way with you Come on, Because it can happen either way. You can come in here and say, I just want a good word. I want to sing a couple of good songs. I want a good feeling. I want just a blessing. Or you can simply say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, have your way. If you're willing to say, I want God to speak directly to me, and I want God to have His way, I want you to raise both hands towards heaven, as high as you can possibly raise. And I want you to make this declaration with me, and I want you to pray this prayer. It's not anything fancy, it's just scriptural. Say this, if you're ready for God to speak directly to you. Say, Jesus, today is my day. Speak to me and transform me by Your Word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that You would speak into our existence. We give You full permission and access to do what only You can do But from this moment on, you have my attention, so have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. You may be seated in heavenly places. People say, well, where does that that prayer basically come from? And here's where it comes from. The book of Revelation, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to seven churches and He says the same thing to all seven churches. No matter where they were, no matter what they were going through, He said the same thing and this is what He said. If you only had ears to hear and eyes to see. I don't know about you, is I don't want to miss anything that God's saying or anything that God's doing. I want to be involved in it. Amen? Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I want to preach to you a message called Giving It All. Or if you want to have a subtitle, it's All In. I'm All In. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, and then we're going to slide backwards into Mark 5, 1 through 6, and then Mark 6. The latter part of the chapter there's something that i found out that's laced through the very dna it's it's a it's it, it's a uh, a thread if you will that holds the book of mark together and as you read from the front page to the closing chapter of mark you will find this this topic being well not only conversated and and explained and 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 described but you'll see it w- literally weaved into everything that Jesus was doing Mark chapter 12 it's going to begin to show you it's going to be a little picture a snapshot if you will of of exactly what that thread is Mark chapter 12 verses 41 through 44 it says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in. Everybody say threw. Threw. Say threw. Threw. It says many people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the temple treasury than all of the others. Notice these words. He said, she's put in more than all. Not just any. He wasn't talking or describing about a certain individual. He's lumped up all the rich people and all that they were giving and compared it to one little widow that gave two worthless coins. And it says, she gave more than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, out of her lack, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now slide backwards to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Mark 5, 1 through 6. It says this, it says, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country... Of the And when they had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling amongst the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with shackles or chains. And because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken into pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. One more set of scriptures is found in Mark chapter 6, just a page over. Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. It says, by this time it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go uh, to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people in, in, uh, sit down in groups of, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up towards heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to his disciples to distribute amongst the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Among the uh, And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men. I want you to listen to this part very carefully. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Father, I ask for just the next four, uh, next few minutes that you would lend me your voice. God, this congregation does not need my advice and they definitely don't need my opinion, but what they do need is a word from you. Lord, I pray that your word would begin to activate movement and and, and just an ability to surrender all to you. Holy Spirit, I need your help, so have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. When I say the word give, what comes to your mind? When I say give, what normally comes to your mind? Come on, you can talk to me. I know your mama said don't talk back to her. (laughs) What, What comes to your mind? Money. Money, right? Money. But today I'm going to place before you an idea and a concept that I'm not only going to ask you to just consider, but to either embrace as absolute truth or cast aside as something that you do not need to be a part of, something that will not be applied to your life. And that is simply this. In order to be successful, a successful person, a successful life will be determined by whether or not that person is a giver. Let me say it this way. Your entire life's success will be determined on whether or not you're a giver. Now today we're not going to be talking about money. We're going to be talking about something else that I believe is so strategic that hell keeps us so bound up arguing and, 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 and fighting and and considering other options that we never really look at the potential that God has if we were willing to give it all. Our entire life success is determined on whether or not we're a giver. Here let's just talk about a few things. I have never seen a successful marriage Where it does not take both husband and bride giving everything they have to each other. The moment that one of them begins to be selfish and they think it's about them, their needs, their wants, their desires, their dreams are more important than the other person. is the moment the enemy begins to come in and curse that marriage. It takes us being willing to sacrifice, us being willing to live up to those vows and say for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, that we are all in. In order to have a successful marriage, it's going to take both people giving you everything. I've never seen people raise successful children. And when I say successful children, I'm not talking about that they're making a lot of money. They've, they've got doctorate degrees or they're in the professional sports. I'm talking about kids that have good attitudes, good hearts. They stay sweet no matter what. I've never seen parents raise successful kids without willing to give those kids everything they have. And I'm not talking about the latest technology, the new gadgets, the latest Xbox, the greatest bike, a brand new car. I'm talking about your time, your attention, your adoration, your support, your correction, your leadership, and your example. So if marriage and children, how about we talk about careers? I've never seen somebody really strive and succeed in their career that's not willing to give it everything they have, Mm -hmm. to work the overtime, to learn in order to become better. I've never seen anyone Elevate themselves in education that's not willing to give everything they have. What separates people in education are those that are willing to give it all. So therefore, in these arenas of life, marriage and children and, and, and careers and education, if it takes us giving everything we have, why is it that we are still trying to barter with God and see how much we truly have to give God? We still, a lot of us still wrestle with the fact of whether or not we really have to give 10% of our of our income to God. Now let me just ask you a question. If 100% of us is God's, why are we still wrestling with the 10%? He simply asks for that. So let me say it this way. A few years ago, I came across this poem... And I kind of changed it to make it a little bit more modern, but it simply goes like this. The name of the title is, It Depends on Whose Hands It's In. It Depends on Whose Hands It's In. See, a football in my hands creates nothing of excitement. But taking the same football and putting it in the hands of a man by the name of Peyton Manning created one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks because it depends on whose hands it's in. It not only depends on what's in their hands, but what they're able to do what's in their hands. Amen? So a basketball in my hands is worth about $30, but taking the same basketball and putting it in the hands of a man by the name of LeBron James, it now becomes worth $90 million because it depends on whose hands it's in. See, a paintbrush in my hands is useless, but taking the same paintbrush and putting it in the hands of a man by the name of Picasso created masterpieces because it depends on whose hands it's in. Let's just talk about Bible for a moment. A rod in my hands is nothing more than a stick, but taking the same rod and putting it in the hands of a man by the name of Moses parted a mighty sea because it depends on whose hands it's in. See, a slingshot in my hands is dangerous. Yeah. But a slingshot in the hands of a 17-year-old anointed to be king slaughtered a great and mighty giant because it depends on what, whose hands it's in. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. See, two fish and five loaves in my hands might make a couple of fish sandwiches, but two fish and five loaves in Christ's hands fed over 5,000 men because it depends on whose hands yeah. it's in. See, it, it, let me just go a little step further. See, dirt and spit in my hands is disgusting, but dirt and spit in the hands of Jesus placed upon a blind man's eyes oh. caused a blind man to see because it depends on whose hands it's in. So just one more. Just one more. See, two nails stuck into my hands, stuck into that wall might create a coat hanger but two nails stuck in the hands of a savior created salvation to everyone who is willing to ask why because it depends on whose hands it's in come on somebody it depends on whose hands so here's my question whose hands is your life in Your abilities, your talents, your marriage, your family, your hopes, your dreams. Because if it's in your hands, it's one thing. But in His hands, it becomes something completely different. So whose hands is it in? See, let me just describe what the word give means. The word give means to relinquish, control, exchange, ownership, or to let go. Let me say it again. It means to exchange ownership. To relinquish control or to let go. A giver is one who releases. A giver is one who transfers from one's authority or custody to another as their possession. So let me just give you a couple of rules of giving real quick. Number one, you can only give what you have to give. You cannot give something that's not yours. Parents... You cannot give the lives of your children to God. You can place them in their hands at an early age and dedicate, Lord, we dedicate this child, but ultimately it's going to come to a place where that child has to decide whether or not to live for Jesus. You cannot give. I've heard offerings been taken up for us. They're like, listen, we're going to take up an offering for Jamie, and, and, and if you don't have something to give, give something, reach into the pocket of the purse next to you. Is that giving? <laughs> That's stealing, right? God doesn't want that's why David said, I cannot give something to God that is not mine to give. So, you cannot give something that you do not have. Yeah, the second rule of giving is this you will not give something that you're not willing to lose, Hmm. you will never give something away. You will never relinquish it. You'll never exchange ownership. You'll never let go of something that you're not willing to lose. The third one is this. According to the definition of giving means to relinquish, control, exchange, ownership, or let go. According to the the definition and definition alone, the third rule of giving is you can only give it away once. Because once you give it away, it's no longer yours, right? Right? So here's what I mean. When I was a kid and teenagers, don't tell your parents uh, all the stuff I told you this week about who I used to be, or they will never send you to camp again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I used to be a drug dealer. <laughs> I'm just peddling something else. Amen? Mm-hmm. That is so good. But in reality, at 11 years old, I was making $1,000 a week selling drugs. I grew up in one of the richest neighborhoods in our city in one of the greatest families you guys made bad decisions. I just wanted to be, I'm just gonna be honest. I just wanted to be independently wealthy. And I didn't want to ask my parents for it. I didn't want to receive it from my parents. I wanted to make it on my own. And I was making a lot of money at an early age. But I was always looking for opportunity to make more, right? Because when you get it, you want more. It's never enough, right? So I found out there were these vending machines that you could slide a dollar in. And you could punch a hole in a nice, crisp, brand new dollar bill and put some clear tape with some light fishing line, a little heavy, but light. You could put it in there, and right before it disappears, you could pull that string back, and you got credit for the dollar, Miss Nikki, but you didn't lose the dollar. And I would empty that vending machine out, and I would take all that candy chips, gum, all that stuff, and I'd take it to school and sell it, and I'd make a killing. But because I'm such a giver, I'd cut the stream on the very last thing when, when everything else was gone and there was just one thing left i'd cut the string and let the dollar go because so i'm a giver i'm a giver and that what we do with God, a lot of times if the third rule of giving is you can only give it away once, let me ask you a question. How many times have we got to go to the altar, the same altar, and give the same lives? How many, got to, how many times have we got to give the same problems, the same sicknesses, the same regrets, the same thing? See, my grandpa taught me at an early age, you've got to learn how to live above saying I'm sorry. That means you've got to make some decisions that you're not going to have to apologize later for. And so when we give our lives it's we gotta learn how to let go. We got to say, "Okay God, here's my situation, here's my problems, here's my past, here's my regrets, here's my shame, here's my guilt. I give it all to you." But but here's the crazy thing. There's this guy that shows up at my house, my friend, and I love that you're a beard uh, enthusiast. I can't do it on myself. You have to lay the hand of anointing because I just can't grow it anywhere, if you can see but in reality is, when I, there's this guy that shows up at my house once a week and does me a huge, huge favor. I give him just a little bit of money to say kind of thank you and to make sure that he's going to come back next week. And he shows up somewhere between 7 and 9 on every Monday morning. And we have to prepare for his arrival. And so somewhere between 6 and 6.30 every Monday morning something occurs. And here's what it is. Every week, all day long, every day, we eat what we want, we drink what we want, and when we're done with it, we take it to this little container and put it in a plastic bag. When that plastic bag starts filling up, it either starts stinking or is full, we gotta close that plastic bag and one of us have to run it out to another container, a little larger container with wheels. And then somewhere on Monday morning between 6 and 6.30, either myself, my son or my bride will roll that little dump out to a curb and a man by the name of Trash Man comes and gets all the stuff I don't want. It sounds like a lot of us and how we treat Jesus. See, He comes and He gives. we give Him our sickness, we give Him our shame, we give Him our sin, we give Him our regret, we give Him all the garbage we don't want. But let me explain something. Jesus didn't die to be your Trash Man. Jesus died to be your Lord and your Savior. He didn't even die to get your sin. He died to get your life. And the problem is, is we're still going, wait a second, how much of me can I keep? How much of me can I get away with holding back and not giving to God ultimately so that I can do what I want and still make it to heaven? Let me explain something. How about we just get all in? Amen. All right. How about we say, God, every part of me I'm going to place into your hands and whether or not I get what I want ultimately it will benefit me because I have given you it all. See, in the widow's Offering, I see a couple of truths that I want to talk about briefly this morning. I see three important truths about giving in the story of the widow's offering. Number one, God values our giving differently than men do. God values our giving differently than men do. See, in God's eyes, the value of our gift is not validated by the volume of what is given, but instead by the depth of sacrifice. Notice that Jesus did not say that she put in more than any of the others. She put in more than all, but she gave two worthless coins. God values our giving differently than men do. Here's what I mean. Story would speed the light real quick. There was a young lady I met in 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 Minnesota. She had raised eight hundred and thirty-two dollars. Eight hundred thirty-two dollars. That's that's a chunk of change for a kid. I think she was fifteen years old, and the, the district youth director said, Jamie, you got to hear her story. She comes from a town of 80 people. <laughs> like, you can't even get a babysitting job in a town of 80 people. But she, her dad was a professional uh, hunting guide, archer, and so she worked, she cleaned, she babysat, she did everything she could do to make money. She made $500, that's it. And she had about a month and a half Left to raise the rest of the three hundred, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it was seven hundred and thirty-two dollars. Seven hundred and thirty-two dollars, not eight hundred and thirty-two. She had she had a month and a half to raise another two hundred and thirty-two dollars, and her dad took her on a, a trip. He takes her on every year to Canada to go hunting, and so they're they're in the car making their way up to this hunting ground. And he looked at her and he said, why are you so sad? She said, Dad, I'm running out of time. I made God a promise at you camp that I was, going to make, I was going to raise $732 for camp, or for Speed of Light. And, she, and, and and the dad said, well, here's what I'm going to do. You've done everything you can do. But now we're about to watch God work. Here's what I'll do. I will let you, and you, you'll get the shoot at any deer, and whatever the deer weighs, I'll give you $1 for every pound that the deer weighs. So they're up there and they're in a tree stand. Nothing. I mean, they go to some of the most trophy-hunted lands in Canada. They don't see an animal. First day. They see a really, really scrawny-looking doe, and, and, and she's got somewhat of a young fawn with her. And, and I don't know all the details of it, but she's like, I don't want to shoot that thing. The next day, third day, nothing. Absolutely nothing. The last day, have a half a day. They're in the tree stand and she is crying. There's a 15-year-old little girl that thought, man, this is my opportunity and it's getting wasted and I can't do anything about it. She's crying in the deer stand and dad, knowing hunting, like he needs to stop. And he said, what is wrong? And she said, I just can't believe that I'm not going to get the opportunity to even get close. And this is what he said. He said, have you prayed? Have you asked? You've done all you can do. But have you asked to ask God to partner with you to help you? And she goes, what do you mean? He said, just ask God for favor. Ask God for his help. You can only do so much. So right in this tree stand, she was like, God, I need your help. And God, would you help me just send out a deer? and And God, I just need your help to raise this money. I want to give it like you told me to give it. And all of a sudden, while they're praying... hear this noise and they look down and here's grandpa buck this this massive trophy he just kind of looking like hey kill me he just like walks up perfect shot open no trees just sitting there and just kind of looks over at him and stops she draws now if this hurts your feelings she killed the deer if you're like a vegetarian or vegan and you don't want to hurt animals i'm sorry You need to watch Veggie Tales. Broccoli has fillings, too, so just don't judge me. You slaughter of vegetables that love Jesus. She slaughters this thing. They get back to camp. Anybody know how much it weighed? 232 pounds dad's like that's exactly what you needed that is awesome she starts weeping harder and he's like why are you crying (laughs) now? she said because dad at camp when god told me that number everybody tried to tell me to round it up or to bring it down 700 maybe 750 she said but i heard god say 732 pounds and that is exactly exactly what i've done and he goes that is so awesome i'm so proud of you and she goes but no dad you don't understand i've never shared this with anyone else the same day that he told me to raise $732 for missions is the same day that he called me to be a missionary to Egypt. And she said, Dad, I heard God. I heard God. See, God values are giving differently. You can't compare your giving and what you're doing, how much you're involved in church to somebody else. What are you doing? Are you doing exactly what he's told you? Are you just trying to do enough to just keep the pastor off your back just to appease your bride? Are you just doing enough to feel good about yourself? Are you truly giving everything? That's what it's about. I'm not asking you to travel this nation and preach youth camps like I do. I'm not even asking you to pastor church. I'm just asking you to be faithful with what God told you to do. Because God values are giving differently than men. That's why he looked at her and he said, See, these are two replicas of the exact coins that she gave. And, and, and he said, listen, what she gave was worthless. But she gave more than all of them. Why? Because she gave it all. See, God values are giving differently than men do. The second point is this. Our attitude in giving is what is most important to God. Our attitude in giving is what is most important to God. Jesus watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury and he saw how they gave. Jesus is more interested and impressed by how we give than what we give. Now, Jesus, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Jesus was awkward. Not him, but he was willing to make things awkward. Like a man with a shriveled hand that's not too proud of it. Hey, stick it out in front of everybody. <laughs> Stand up in front of everybody and stick it out. No. Jesus, when he took up an offering, yeah. he, like, basically this is what it would be like. This is how awkward it was. It would be like, Pastor Chris, when you become a member of this church, you have to turn in your W-2s. And he knows exactly how much money you make. And then he stands here with a basket every day or every Sunday. And he looks at your offering and he looks up at you. That's Jesus right there. Jesus, read it. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite of the places where the offerings were being put. So that he could see what everyone was giving. That's my Jesus, see here's the thing. Your friend may not know. Your family may not know. Your pastor may not know whether or not you're being faithful with giving everything. But Jesus knows. And he sees exactly. And and notice this. He sees how you're giving. Now it says that Jesus loves a cheerful giver, but it does not say that he hates uncheerful givers. (laughs) I promise you, you can still give and still have like a crusty look on your face, a nasty old stained face. And Jesus will be like, I saw you give. But here's the cool thing. How did they give? How did they give? How they gave exposes something. What did I what was the word I had you repeat a couple times? And they the rich people came and threw. They threw their love offerings in. Well, that tells me two things about how they gave. Number one, do you throw things that have meaning or importance to you. Think about the most important thing you have, would you throw it? Why? It would damage it, right? Like you care about that. So number one, the first thing that you exposes is how that gave exposes you don't throw things that matter to you, mm-hmm. that you care about. So it says that what they were giving meant nothing to them. Number two, do you throw things at Things that matter to you. Now, like, I've been married for 23 years. Her nickname is Fire because she is stinking hot. I call her my bride to this day. I just ran into a lady the other day and she said, Oh, you just got married. I'm like, Yeah, 23 years ago. (laughs) She's like, What? Wait wait a second. You called her your bride? I'm like, Yeah. And she goes, Why do you call her your bride after 23 years? And I'm like, Because the Bible says a contentious wife is like a dripping faucet. I don't want one of them. So I was going to keep her my bride. Now she's still hot. I'm in love with her. I get to see her today. I'm going to warm myself up by the fire. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But in reality is when I got asked her to marry me, I was 17 years old when I got engaged. I don't recommend that for any teenagers. My kids won't get married until they're 47. (laughs) But when I asked her, I didn't say, hey, listen, I got a question for you. Would you stand right there and just put your finger out like this? Hey, listen, if it's God... (laughs) It'll get on the finger. Will you marry me? What do you think she would have done if I'd have thrown that wedding ring at her? What do you think she would have said, sweetie? Come on. Probably no. Probably... I'm going to drop the mic and give an altar call for liars real quick. Let me explain something. Women, it depends on the size of the ring. Don't you get all religious on me like, no, don't be throwing it. It's big. I guarantee if it was like a four carat diamond, she would have caught it. <laughs> Right? But you don't throw things at someone you love. So it showed not only what they were giving meant nothing to them, but what they were giving to meant nothing. They were just going through the religious cycle, the routines and the traditions. They were doing it to impress man, not God. And they came and threw in large amounts. But a little widow came and Jesus was so moved by her. He said nothing. He let, Almost like he didn't even see it. He was unmoved when they came and threw in large amounts, but a widow came and brought two coins that were considered worthless. And, and he stands to his feet and he said, Peter, James, did you just see what that woman gave? I can imagine, well, no, I don't know about a woman, but I saw that guy, did you see? And he had like seven bags of silver and he just threw it. And, and silver went flying. And Did you see that one guy? He had servants carrying in bags and, and boxes of gold and they just flew it. And, and gold was everywhere. How rich is he to just throw gold like that? Jesus, what did she give? Was it like a 40-karat diamond? It, you're moved by it, so it must be impressive. What did she give? And I don't know if Jesus had some in his pocket or he walks over and grabs some. But he says, She gave this. And the disciples were like, What? That's worthless. Isn't it amazing that Jesus will take something worthless in man's hands and make it something valuable in his hands? Oh, that's going to preach for somebody today. See, Jesus is still trying to scrape the aftertaste off of the taste spiritual taste buds of the disciples just two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 10. When a rich young ruler comes running after Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, but notice these words. He says, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. He's trying to introduce himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nice to meet you.
1: It's only through me. No one comes to the Father
0: except through me. You want to know? Well, here it is. I'm here. I'm Jesus. You need me. And the young man doesn't get it, and all of a sudden he looks at him and he says, um, well, okay, here, here's what you've got to do. You got, you know the rules that God gave you? That Moses brought to you the commandments, honor your father and mother, do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery. That's my phone telling me, shut up. <laughs> here, here's, and i got to close this quickly, but listen. He says, you're, you're, you are remember the rules, and he says, yeah, all these things I have kept since I was a youth. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. But he says, One thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the young man was rich. And he ended up walking away from Jesus because the cost was too great. I'm going to say something that's going to throw your doctrine in the creek. You ready for this? How many disciples did Jesus call? How many apostles? How many were there? There were 12. There probably should have been 13, but one of them said no. This is the same call that he gave to Peter and John. This is the same call that he gave to Nathanael. And they all said yes. But this man said, I can't pay that price. A man that at one time was willing to run after Jesus is now found walking away from him because he's not willing to give it all. God values our giving differently than men do how we give is most important to God but the third point is this God cares about how much we give see Warren Wiersbe says it this way when it comes to our giving men sees what's given but God sees what's left and by that he measures the gift and the condition of the heart a lot of times we hold back what we think what we think we need see let me just sum this up Mark. The reason I read all these other scriptures, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 6, is because there's something that a lot of us don't understand about giving, that total sacrifice. See, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is talking about purpose. Jesus is talking about reason. Nobody does anything by accident. Even in the hidden motives of your heart, we do things in order to receive something. Nobody lights a lamp without expecting to use it to destroy darkness. So therefore, don't light a lamp and hide it. You put it on the lampstand. Nobody sows seed without expecting a harvest, but it depends on where you sow your seed. The road, the rocks, and the the shallow soil with thorns, it's not going to produce what you want. You have to throw it into rich soil, trusted soil, into the hands of God. And so he's talking about this, and all of a sudden Jesus stops and he says, let's go to the other side of this lake. Let's go over there. But Jesus could change his mind in minutes. He'd be like, okay, we're doing this, let's go there. And so the disciples are already in this boat. They're going and row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 just hanging with the king. You know what I'm talking about? And it says... That there was a storm that came up. And as they, the storm came up, the disciples, most of them were professional fishermen. And they knew how to handle a boat. But normally when the storm comes, they get off the water, not stay through, on the water, and go through the storm. But they're, they're panicking. The wind's causing waves to come in. And water's still in the boat. The boat starts sinking. And so they're looking for Jesus. They're just being obedient to what Jesus said. And all of a sudden, 12 disciples go and find Jesus. And it says that he's at the bow of the boat. And he's asleep. You ever felt like Jesus was asleep in your situation? And the disciples came to him and they said, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. Let me just, let me just give you a prophetic word. Just a couple of minutes. See, a lot of us are going through situations that we don't like. And we don't understand why Jesus is allowing those situations. We're just being obedient. We're being faithful to the best of our ability. And we're going through these storms. But notice this. If you were to go to Israel right now and say, I need somebody to take me to the tomb of Gadara where the demoniac was. They're going to take you to one of two places depending on who you talk to. Number one, if you talk to a tour guide, they're going to take you to this place that does not fit the demographics of Scripture, but it's the only place to really land a boat in that region. And so therefore, it's this green pasture and it runs into this little rock and then it goes right into the water. Very smooth, very easy. But it doesn't have a cliff where pigs can run off the cliff and jump and drown themselves after the demons were cast into the pigs. So that's not the real place. The real place is if you talk to theologians and say take me to the tomb of Gadara, they're going to take you to another place. But the reason the tour guides don't take you there is because there is not very, there's only one place to land a boat. And it's almost physically impossible to do it. It's surrounded by cliffs. But there is one little cove, one little harbor, Pastor Chris, where you can land a boat. But it's in order to get into that little cove from where they were coming from, it's 262 degrees out of context. So basically, they were going this way. They would have had to turn themselves 262 degrees out of context from where they were coming and to get into this little cove which is physically impossible for a boat with no GPS, with no motor. They were bound by the wind and rowing in the middle of the night. They couldn't see where they were going. So here's what I'm posing before you. Maybe, just maybe, the wind and the waves weren't there to destroy them. Maybe, just maybe, because the wind and the waves, according to the disciples, said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his pleas? Let me explain something to you. Maybe, just maybe, the wind and the waves weren't there to destroy them, but to position them to get into a place that they could not get themselves in order to reach one hurting man. And that's how much God does. What am I talking about? Maybe what you're going through physically, maybe what you're going through financially, maybe what what you're going through emotionally is not about you at all. Ultimately, it's God trying to position you because on. at one time you said, God, if you can use me, use me. And He's trying to position you to go help maybe a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, a coworker, a co-worker, a boss, a friend, a neighbor. Maybe, just maybe, He's heard their cry and He trusts you enough to position you and maybe make you feel uncomfortable enough to just get you to save them. Yeah. All right. says that He steps out of the boat. Demoniac comes running. Notice this. This is a demoniac, and he's in his right mind. Why? Because Jesus wasn't just talking to wind and waves. He was talking to demons and authorities in high places. When he said, peace be still, basically what he said is, devil let him go. And so all of a sudden, and here's where I close. This is where it gets really cool. Ready? Jesus casts the demons out. The city comes and begs Jesus to Everybody in the city begs Jesus to leave. Jesus gets back in the boat. Twelve disciples get in the boat. And that's demoniac goes to get in the boat. And guess what happens? Jesus says, you can't go with me. I've got plans for you. So you need to go back to the people that are the you the most. You've got to go back to the city, to, to the the ten cities. The demoniac takes it as a challenge. He takes it as being launched into what God's called him to. He says, but as you go, to go tell the people all the things that I've done for you. Go show them and tell them that I come back. The demoniac goes. Jesus gets in the boat. His twelve disciples they leave. Long story short, they go to his hometown. He gets rejected there. His cousin John the Baptist gets killed. And then all of a sudden they're hungry, they're thirsty. They went on missions trip. Sent them out. The seventy out. They went out two by two. They cast out demons. They heal the sick. They're hungry. And all of a sudden they're kind of like, hey, let's just take a little vacation. Let's just get a little time of rest. And they go back to the exact same region where just months before they had cast, seen Jesus cast out the demons. And they're expecting, man, it was nice there. It was quiet. And there wasn't anybody there. So they go to this same place. But guess what? There's not just a demoniac. Now there's tens of thousands of people. It says 5,000 men. But in reality, there was between fifteen and 25,000 people, including women and children. And here's where it begins to unfold and if I can get, them worshiping, can get them of the worship team to begin to come forward, the pastor Here's where it begins to get really cool. Are you ready for this? Remember I said it was nice throughout the book of You ready? They don't find it with just a few thousand people. They find it with tens of thousands of people. And Jesus says these words. He starts ministering and the disciples come to him and said, Jesus, it's late. Send the people away. Have you ever blamed something you need on somebody else? Let's be honest. Who is hungry? The disciples. They haven't eaten yet, and they said, "Send them away so they can go buy something." Their own stomachs were growling, and Jesus says, "You give them something," and they're like, "Really?" We have not, I can imagine Peter looking and at Andrew, Andrew, his brother, and saying, Do you have something? Do you have Slim Jim? Do you have a, a trail mix? Do you have a granola bar? So what, what are you keeping from us? And Andrew's like, I ain't got nothing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of them asking what each other had, Jesus says, Well, what do you have? a little boy, a little boy looks at him and says, I have a sack lunch. I have a lunchable. I have a little happy meal. It's about two fish and five loaves. And, and if you've ever been around a little kid, it's awesome because if it's more than enough for them, it's more than enough for everyone. They're like, oh my gosh, this could feed everybody. It's so much food. Here, Jesus, you can have it. He's giving it all. And he gives it to the disciple. And one of the disciples said, how can something so small and something so stupid go so far fish and becomes so much? he brings it to Jesus and he said, all I have is five loaves and two fish and Jesus says, sit everybody down. And he thanks God. He blesses it, breaks it, hands it to his disciples we know the story. Over 5,000 men, but not just men, women and children. Hey, but here's where I want to go with this in closing. What you have matters, but what you're willing to give is what changes things. The next thought is this. That's great what you're willing to give, but nothing can be multiplied in your hand. It's got to be in his hand. The next thought is, nothing will ever be multiplied until it's first blessed and broken. Here's what I mean. We live in the most blessed nation in the entire world, but are we the most broken? We'll go to an altar and say, God bless me, but have we went to the altar and said, God break me. Break me for the nations. Break me for the lost. Break me, God, because there is not one. If you're okay with just being blessed, then, then be okay with the empty seat sitting next to you and the people that are living in the city that don't know Jesus. Until when there's a breaking, there will never be a multiplying. The fourth thought is my favorite. God uses what man doesn't even acknowledge. Here's what I mean. The miracle didn't start in a field with a little boy that gave a sack lunch. It started in the kitchen with a mom, a grandma, or an aunt a sack lunch. but didn't just make a sack lunch for a little boy, but gave a little boy an understanding. You share what you have. Give what you have. You may have to temporarily go without, but make sure that somebody else doesn't eternally go without. Son, you give what you have. You share. And this little boy received that, and he went out of that place. A mom that was just trying to be faithful taught a little boy how to be faithful. And let me explain something. It didn't start in a field with a little boy with a sack lunch. It didn't even start in the kitchen with a mom that taught a little boy uh, how to share and gave him a sack lunch started. Who told the mom about Jesus? Who told them that Jesus was coming? Possibly an extra maniac that went home to those that had hurt him the most. People that had frustrated people that got on his nerves, People that tried to tame him. People that tried to lock him up. And Jesus sent this man and he went and told everybody he could. And all of a sudden he comes back and he tells everybody about Jesus. He said if what Jesus has done in me he can do again in you."